Hello, and welcome to Trek in Time, the podcast that takes a look at Star Trek in order and in history. What do I mean by that? I mean, we're going to talk about each episode of Star Trek in chronological order. At this point, we're still in early days, so we're looking at Enterprise. And we're also going to take a look at what the world looked like when these episodes broadcast. We'll be taking a deeper dive into the episodes and the era that they were broadcast in on any topics that catch our eye. And you're wondering whose eyes are doing the catching. Well, first, my eyes. Deep blue and beautiful to look at. I'm Sean Farrell. <laughs> I'm a writer. I write sci-fi. I write some picture books. And with me is my brother, Matthew. He's the guru and inquisitor behind the YouTube channel Undecided with Matt Farrell, which takes a look at emerging tech and its impact on our lives. So between the storytelling and the tech, I think we've got Star Trek covered. Yes, we do. We try at least. <laughs> <laughs> Don't forget, there are ways for you to directly support this podcast. You can like, you can subscribe, and you can also visit httpod.fan slash time. There's dashes between Trek in time. Before we get into this new episode, let's listen to some viewer comments on our last episode. Matt, you want to take it away? Sure. Yeah, there's been a couple of comments that have come in about Sean's camera. And a couple of episodes ago... It actually got worse before it got better. Yeah. Because <laughs> Sean went from an old computer with a potato for a camera to a new computer that actually has a rock for a camera. Yeah. So I got we a new computer him. thinking, well, this will <laughs> be a better potato. And it turns out it was a turnip. Yes. It was so a, this, this one step this is a much forward, better setup. three steps back. And then Matt screamed ah! and <laughs> immediately ran to Amazon. And the next thing I knew in the mail, I had a new camera. So. That's why and I light. look as crystal clear <laughs> as I do right now and why you can actually see my beautiful blue eyes. <laughs> yeah, Sean and I are on matching cameras, so we're using the same exact gear now. Sorry, that's why we look so much alike. Uh, the other thing was uh, some of the comments that came in. Uh, there was a great one from Luck Dragon, and I have to give you a big tip of the hat for your never-ending story reference. Yep. And I promise I will not go and start singing the song because it will never, ever it literally ever, never ends. Yeah. Leave your head. Yeah. <laughs> it's like an earworm that will never go away. But Lug Dragon said, finally, a YouTube cast I can dig into with a bunch of happiness. I, I totally agree with that. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. But, but then they all said, FYI, I scored a unique license plate for my Tesla when I got it. STTNG. And that, Lug Dragon, you are a nerd after my own heart, yes. which is what I wrote in the comment right below you. Uh, that's so fun. The other comment I want to kind of call out is uh, from Pale Ghost 69 and it was on the Breaking the Ice episode. And he said he was responding to, uh, to Paul eating the pecan pie at the end of the episode. And we asked, what do you think that pie meant? And his response was, I think DePaul got the pie for herself. I basically tripped and get it for her. I don't know if the pecan pie had any real connection to trip in particular because everyone was eating it. If a Vulcan would ever try a pie, though, I bet it would be a pecan. It's the only one that's mild enough. I love that call out. Yeah. I think it's important to note that her storyline focused on the rejection of her traditions and having a sweet food shows her opening up to cultures outside of her own. As the season progresses, she becomes more aware that everything she knew about the Vulcan command was a lie and their cultural their culture is only a dogmatic shell without teachings of Surak. Uh, this is the start of that. And I thought that was a really, really astute yeah. analysis of the pie. Yeah. 
Thank you for weighing in on that, Pale Ghost. That was a really great analysis. Yeah. So today we're talking about episode 10 of Enterprise, and the title is Fortunate Son. This is another one directed by LeVar Burton. So I was excited to see that at the beginning. And it was written by James Duff. This episode dropped on November 21st, 2001, and was viewed by 6.11 million people. This is down from the previous week, which was roughly a million people more. But I dug a little bit, and there was some analysis that said this drop of roughly 7% was seen across the board because this was the day before Thanksgiving. So Mm -hmm. at this point... Families were traveling. People were not at home. So viewership was down for that reason. Still, Matt and I have been noticing the downward trend. And it was very quick. And it was very obvious from the very first episode that this wasn't hitting the mark with Star Trek viewers in in the same way that shows like Voyager, Deep Space Nine, and Next Generation had. So what was the world like when this episode broadcast? I'm Real by Jennifer Lopez featuring Ja Rule was still the top song. And uh, as I said last week, the song may have involved a bit of murder, but (laughs) we won't get deep into that. And in the movie houses, people were reluctantly going to see a little film called Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, which limped along with an only $90 million first week. That's such a horrible movie. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's. What was it? That was the that was the second one from Christopher Columbus, wasn't it? He directed that one. It's the first one. Is that the first one? Yeah. Oh, that is the first one. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that movie. Yeah. Yeah. Because he did the first two, and the yeah. first two are really kind of like. Uh... Yeah the the first one <laughs> when he left in my uh, the way it hit me was there are reasons why you don't stick too close to the source material sometimes. And Mm -hmm. he seemed so intent on sticking with the source material that it felt like walking through a movie. But yeah, still it was Harry Potter. Great books made bank. And, uh, yeah, the legacy it's left. We have 19 million different stories about teenage children learning how to do magic. (laughs) We're still living in that world. The most watched show the week this broadcast was a little watched program called Friends. And they struggled along with only 24.24 million viewers that week. And in the news from the New York Times, the various headlines included that the death toll from 9-11 was being revised downward. The reason for that was because the initial numbers had included basically every report of a missing person which meant that if multiple people had contacted authorities to report somebody missing, both of those reports would count as an individual. And so they were basically overestimating how many people had been lost when the towers came down. Meanwhile, the hunt for bin Laden was expanding. Of course, we know historically that that hunt would continue all the way through Bush's years as president and into Obama's. And there were also beginning to be growing questions about Bush's anti-terror war. What would the shape of it be? How would it be managed? And what was the goal? Synopsis of this episode. Matt, do you want to tell us what this episode is about? Sure. 
Uh, Captain Archer is contacted by Admiral Forrest to assist the ECS Fortunate, a Y-class freighter. Archer, Lieutenant Reed, Dr. Flox, and Ensign Mayweather learn from the first officer that the Fortunate was attacked by Nausicans. And if you remember the Star Trek The Next Generation, Captain Picard actually died by getting stabbed in the chest by a Nausicaan. Yes. And uh, the captain of this uh, of the Fortunate was injured. Enterprise helps repair the Fortunate until sensors show that the 23-member crew has an additional person on board. Bum, bum, bum. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> yeah. So we get into the plot of this one uh, right away where it's, I, I think for Enterprise at this point, they really needed an opening like this, which shows some kind of cool, energized space battle. The, yeah. the show up to this point has been very uh, cerebral, very talky. It's very much in the vein of Star Trek, but they needed something to be a little bit more high energy and attention grabbing. And I think that the opening does it where it shows the, the fortunate being attacked. The enterprise is of course contacted. And I thought that it was a nice touch that Admiral Forrest in his first part of his discussion with Archer refers to the comet episode. Yeah. He says, Oh, those readings you got from that comet are amazing. Uh, it's a it's a nice throwback, and and sadly, it's one of the few times that the show demonstrates a sense of continuity. <laughs> yeah, like, yes. It, the show is following in the footsteps of shows like Voyager, Deep Space Nine, Next Generation. Next Generation didn't do it very much. An overarching continuity was not always there. Deep Space Nine really did it well. Deep Space yeah, Nine hit, hit points where week to week, it was ongoing evolution of things like a, a long-term war with the Dominion and all of that. Voyager, I always wished, could have done it more given the nature of the show. I always felt like it missed certain marks of being able to really say... How are we different in year one from year seven? Right. Really showing a growth and a change. I think that they missed some opportunities there. And right out of the gate with Enterprise, I I've find myself really scratching my head as to why they're missing so many opportunities. So at least in this one, at the very beginning, I was like, well, at least he's referring to the fact they went to that comic. <laughs> I'll take it. Which, yeah. the, the first episode of Enterprise, they set up this time war and we've heard nothing yeah we're halfway we're almost halfway into the series and we still have not seen a follow-up to that which is going to (laughs) change right in the next episode but it's 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 still frustrating that they didn't do anything with it they're using a very antiquated outdated television model of you know the monster of the week kind of episode right so the enterprise arrives to help the fortunate and when they arrive, the freighter is relatively unharmed apart from the captain who is unconscious in the ship's infirmary. And of course they use flocks uh, to help him recover faster, but he will remain unconscious throughout the episode, which I thought was an unfortunate role for the actor playing the captain who mm-hmm. basically got to be in just a couple of scenes, one at the very beginning of the episode and one at the very end. 
Uh, and it's an actor who I recognize from other things. I think he's a, he's a competent actor. And I thought, well, it's kind of a bummer. You get hired mm-hmm. to play a captain of a, of a spaceship on a Star Trek show. And you're told, okay, okay. After the first three minutes, you're going to be in a coma for 40 minutes. <laughs> While helping repair the fortunate, Sub Commander T'Pol depicts a Nausicaan biosign. Uh, just before we get into the deeper plot here, what did you think about the game of hide and seek that T'Pol stumbled into? I loved it. I thought it was like, it's, it's one of those, just like the pie we talked about. There's like these little, even though there's not a giant continuity between the episodes, they are doing nice things with dropping these little seeds to show her progression as a character from episode to episode. And these two kids playing hide and go seek and the little girl hides in the, like the air duct right near her when the little boy comes running down the hall and goes, have you seen, I can't remember what her name was. Have you seen Katarina or whatever her name was? I think it's Nadine. Goes, yeah, Nadine. She just, all she says is, I have not, I do not know which child is Nadine. I have, <laughs> you know, it's, and then the kid runs away. And I thought that was so brilliant because she didn't lie. She told yeah. the truth, but showing her creativity for kind of manipulating the truth to like help this little girl out to not rat her out was, I thought very touching and nice. It was a nice little nugget. Yeah. And I think it was something that she would not have done in the first episode. No, I think if she, she had not. come across a child in the air duct in the first episode, she would have responded with, you should not be in this. And as soon as the other child showed up, she would have been like, the two of you should not be running around the ship. Exactly. Uh, and so for her in that moment and her passing reference, when the little girl says, thanks to say, like, I simply told the truth. Like, yeah. as you said, the little logic puzzle that she's leapt through to be able to tell the truth, but at the same time, help the child is a really lovely moment for that character. Yes. So T'Pol discovers that there's a Nausicaan biosign. And then there's a nice scene where Archer basically knowingly pins commander Matthew Ryan, who is now in charge. He was the second to command aboard the fortunate and Matthew Ryan reluctantly reveals the fact that yes they have a prisoner aboard their ship and they are trying to get access codes for shield frequencies from from this nausicaan so that they can avoid being hurt by future attacks and at this point in the show it becomes abundantly clear the wild west nature of space at this point um I think it's a there's been up to this point uh Meriwether has has been Mayweather has been giving um sort of a of a boomer's eye view boomers is what they refer to people who live aboard these freighters and and boomers the communities that they live in these freighters literally shuttle stuff at speeds that are so slow that for huge periods of time crews are effectively little communities in space so it's really a wagon train sort of yep feeling and that sense of isolation self-reliance the kind of vagabond heart that would lead you to doing that kind of work and wanting to do that kind of work is evident in all of the crew people you don't get a strong sense of hierarchy in the crew, you get a sense that there is the captain and then beneath the captain is Ryan. But then the rest of the crew, you can really get a sense that the crew kind of looks at it as you do what has to be done. Whoever job needs doing, somebody does it. So 
at the yep. very beginning, the captain in talking to Ryan says casually, oh, did you ever figure out what that shutter on the port side of the ship was? And Ryan's like, oh, we figured out that the Jupiter station hadn't balanced the stuff properly. Another guy and I ended up taking care of it. So we rebalanced everything and and it should be good to go. And And it's that kind of like everybody's just doing their thing. Everybody, Mm -hmm. everybody knows that things need to happen on the ship for the ship to run right. And, and that sort of lack of hierarchy is also demonstrated in the kind of way that in a, in an old Western, when the hero would wander into a community and the community just kind of people would do what needed to be done. You'd have a barn raising or something like that. And everybody would show up and take care of it so that the things that needed to be built would be built and the, the town as it needed to be would be made. Yeah, so that's the first time, really this is also the first time we've ever seen any kind of glimpse of this because it's been talked about from Mayweather in the show, just like offhanded comments. But now we're getting to see like what he experienced growing up. We're getting right. to see what his life was like, which is nice to see. But there's gonna be more to talk about um, yeah. in a few minutes. <laughs> I also think it's important to talk about the. The scene in the mess hall where Mayweather is excitedly sharing what is probably better food than Ryan would normally have aboard his vessel. And it's a little bit of braggadocio around the idea of like, we are the flagship vessel of Starfleet. We are the captain was able to call in some favors and get an extremely talented cook for this craft and he's able to do things even when he's using repurposed proteins and stuff like that to be able to get high quality food and they're eating what looks like steak and it is real steak and it is as they're eating it ryan refers to the last time he had steak was something like 18 months ago or something like that Mm -hmm. that scene breaks down into both of them pointing fingers at the other and in a kind of accusatory tone of Mayweather's invitation to you're the kind of experienced spacefarer that Starfleet is going to need as it expands so quickly. And that invitation is rejected with a, is there something wrong with the kind of life I'm living? And more than that, how did you dare abandon your family? Yeah. When you joined Starfleet and there's a lot of judgment from Ryan in particular, but I do think there is a little bit of judgment on the part of Mayweather, the kind of, yes. of optimistic moving forward and hurting people that care about him. I don't agree that he abandoned his family, but there is that sense of, of duty aboard these freighters and Mayweather's leaving left a hole. And yeah, it's, it's progressive versus conservative kind of views on the world. It's, right. it's we, there's, you could pick a, a dozen different analogies but like today we're moving towards renewable energy and there's people in the coal industry that are losing their jobs so the boomers are kind of like the coal industry and starfleet's like the solar industry right and so there's a little bit of a tension between the two and mayweather's judgment is like you got to adapt is basically what he's saying this is the future you got to adapt you've got talent you could be very well suited here and his response of well if all the talented people leave who's going to be left to do this Missing the point that what <laughs> Mayweather's bringing up is there's not going to be a need for you right. in the future. It's because there was that scene in the engineering bay where uh, I think it was Trip was bragging about, here's the you know best engine in the fleet. They can go warp five, and yet the the this their ship can only go 1.5 or something like that. 
And so it's like, it's going to shorten the trip from months down to a couple of weeks. Yeah. And his, and his response was, well, sometimes, you know, going slower is more enjoyable. Like yeah. why do the trip anyway? Yeah. And so it's like, all of this is, is kind of coming down to people who are going to be affected by change and not wanting to be affected by it. So there's a little, like you said, finger pointing going on both ways. Yeah. And there's also, there's a moment where it's the, the choices around what you, how you want to be are sometimes made, like you mentioned, trips point about how quickly the ship could travel and Ryan's response, well, how do you enjoy the trip then? It all starts to come to jump forward very briefly, a conversation between Archer and the captain who's been injured for most of the episode. At the end of the episode, you really do have that capstone discussion around Mm -hmm. what evolution looks like. And the captain makes the point of saying, it's reaching the point where in order for us to keep up with the competition, we're going to have to have at bare minimum a warp three engine. Mm-hmm. And the captain's response is that's good. That means shorter trip, more access to safety. Yep. And it really is a demonstration that what's happening with the evolution of the technology is space in a certain sense is shrinking. And we've yep. experienced that in the past several decades here on earth our world got smaller things like the internet things like overnight shipping things like faster planes the development of of technologies around the world that make the distance between where a thing is made and where it's going to be consumed shorter and the amount of time it takes for us to think about wanting a thing and getting that thing is shorter it makes the sense of the world is moving faster more real and mm-hmm. I think that's on demonstration in this episode, which given that it was made in the early 2000s, uh, you've got the tech boom, the dot com boom, the bubble burst already. This is, I think, for me, one of the first times where an episode really kind of had a conversation that was around the era that it was written in. That kind yes. of what is the world? Is it better to have a dot com market or is a real world market? Is brick and mortar Main Street better than Walmart? Is Walmart better than Amazon? Right. That seems to be the heart of the the discussion of this episode. Yep. So another big issue for this the Wild West that I referred to is the fact that Ryan reveals that he's got a prisoner. But Archer has no right to go and take the prisoner or do anything about the fact that Ryan is like, this is my ship. This is my prisoner. You can't do anything. Starfleet has no control over this. Mm -hmm. And it's really an interesting demonstration of even in, you know, episodes of the original series, Kirk could board another ship. And if he decided like, look, you're from earth, you're you're under our jurisdiction. I have the ability to do things that you can't stop me. It's yeah. that's not yet in place. And I thought that that was a really interesting turn. Yep. Archer then tries to get you know basically leverage his way aboard the the ship to get to the the prisoner and Ryan gives the impression that he's relenting, but as Archer and his away team enter the cargo section of the freighter, they find themselves trapped by the crew. Um, I couldn't help but watch this with a sense of like head scratching. It didn't seem like this yeah. crew would ever try to pull this kind of shenanigan with a, 
heavily armed Starfleet crew that would also have the Enterprise at its disposal to be able to basically, if it came to it, just blow them out of the sky. I didn't find this particularly realistic from even was, within the confines of a of an action adventure sci-fi show it was missing a conversation there should have been a conversation between ryan and the guy that was acting as the second command i can't remember, they never really said the character's name they don't but there say was, his name i don't believe yeah but those two guys could have had a very simple two-sentence conversation with like are you sure you want to do this and ryan just say nobody's going to get hurt we have to distract them buy ourselves some time to get away Right. They could have just said that because that's what they did, but you don't realize that until the scene is done. And they're, it's like, why are they shooting? A, they end up shooting a hole in the container and ejecting the container in space so that the Enterprise can't chase after them because they have to go after the captain and the crew to protect them. Right. It's like he could have just explained, nobody's going to get hurt. This is only to distract them and occupy them so we can get away. That's all they yeah. had to say. It's yeah. like, and then I would have gone no, Yeah. Yeah. We I would have known that there was no like intention that. of harm. Because when it's happening, you're like, are they trying to kill them? Like yeah. what, what is going on? Yeah. What do you think is going to happen if you shoot and kill Archer? It's like, what is, what is going on here? But if you had established before it even happened that nobody was going to get hurt, you'd understand, okay, they're just trying to, you know, this is just a, a tactic to delay them. Yeah. And I agree. It would have, it would have, that conversation would have gone a long way or even some change in what their tactics were. Mm-hmm. It, did it need to involve shooting phasers at them at all? Couldn't it have Good been point. like, oh, right through this door, you'll find the Nausicaan on the other side of this door. Shut the door, depressurize the cargo container, and jettison it. Like, like bingo, bango, bongo. And then like <laughs> everybody could have been like, why is the freighter leaving? What happened to that cargo container? What's going on? Like, yes. oh, my God, the captain's in that cargo container. Oh, my exactly. God, they got away. Yes. It didn't need yes. to be like they literally have – to Paul at one point scanning and the camera shot. And I think it's well shot episode. I think LeVar Burton did another great job with directing, but through the gap between some cargo containers, you see the, the actor with his (laughs) rifle and it's like, it it literally raises the question. Like, are they going to murder them? Is that exactly? Yeah. It made no sense. Yeah. What the hell is happening? Yeah. It also like, part of the humor for me that came out of this is that that guy who's effectively third in command of the ship, I guess, uh, I believe is the same actor who in an episode of Seinfeld got mad at George for double dipping his chip. So I just kept in my head hearing that, like (laughs) you dipped your chip and then you went back and you dipped it again. And I kept thinking like that guy's third in command on the ship. Anyway. So the fortunate, uh, they have their, you know, moment of, of three stooges fighting in the cargo container so that they can get away and they want to get away so that they can. And this is another moment where I was just like, this doesn't make any sense that this would be the plan. <laughs> they actively are looking for the Nausicans and this is where the we're supposed to understand that the leverage has been turned for the second in command. Ryan is not looking to stop future bad acts. He's looking for revenge. Mm-hmm. It's referred to that his family died as the result of some kind of piracy in the past. He was the only survivor. And now he's, he's got such an angry response to the current events with the Nausicans that he's now actively out for blood. But, there, I felt like 
like you said before, with the conversation around like, oh, there needed to be a conversation to say like, why are we doing this to the enterprise crew? It could have been a, it could have been demonstrated that, oh, this was about distraction and getting away. There could have been something around why they need to find the Nausicans. Something could have been in peril. Either the Nausicans took something that they wanted yep. to get back, something of value. They, there could have been something as simple as they boarded us and they took things that were 90% of our income for this future shipment that we're doing. By taking that, we've now lost out on that income and it's going to cost us as a community. Something like that could have been in the script that would have solved the problem of why would an underarmed freighter and why would that underarmed freighter crew follow Ryan on this hunt yeah, for but, blood? Because they don't have the weapons to be able to fight the Nausicans. When push which, comes to shove, they have a ship that is not going to be able to do anything. It just does not make any sense. Which goes back to what I was saying before. It's like Ryan, there should have been a scene at some point where Ryan is kind of rallying the crew around them starting to be kind of like, are you sure we should be doing this and have yeah. him do some kind of like, you know, we're going into battle and rallying the crew and getting everybody to go. Yeah, you're right. We should do this to yeah. show him being a leader, making a bad call, but may show him being a leader and explaining why they have to do what they do and people buying into it. Yeah. They, they left so much out. I don't know if it was for time reasons or if it was also because they thought they were creating suspense because as us as viewers, it's like, the the whole why are they having the shootout in the, the the thing or you know why are they going over here like trying to keep us in the dark deliberately it's like if that was the case i think there was a bad storytelling call that's a very bad storytelling call yeah and then if it was for time reasons it's like well then maybe you should have written it differently because <laughs> you, you left out things that were really necessary from a storytelling point of view yeah i i couldn't help but wonder if there was uh the network was standing behind them and saying like we need more action put in more fights it could have been yeah and because the fight sequence, if you and I corrected it through the things that we just suggested, that fight never would have happened. It would have been the trickery of getting the getting Archer and his away team into the cargo hold, locking them in, depressurizing it, ejecting it, and flying away. Now that five that fight in the cargo hold seemed to take a long time to me. It was it was boring to watch. It yes. went on for too long. So now you've saved that time. And then you also have then later, you could use that time for the kind of discussion that you just described of him talking to the crew and saying, look, if we don't get that stuff they stole back, we're going to be hurting for the next two years. We worked hard to be able to get that job, to, to freight that stuff. They took it from us and it's going to impact us directly unless we can get it back. And the enterprise is not going to help us do that. So we need to do it for ourselves. So yeah. all of those things could have taken as much time as what is currently on screen, but it would have been a lot more talking and it would have been yes. less action. And I have a feeling yes. that Paramount UPN was probably standing there and saying, you got to show these people running around and shooting guns. It, it, it could be very much that case. Yeah. So as we mentioned, uh, Archer and to are left in the cargo container Floating in space, the Enterprise, in order to get to them in time, has to let the freighter run away. And the freighter, in the meanwhile, is hunting down the Nausicaan pirates, which they, unfortunately for them, are in fact able to find. They find the Nausicaan ship and make the silly mistake, 
I <laughs> really think this is a very silly mistake of seeing the single ship next to an asteroid and immediately chasing it around the asteroid. And guess what's on the other side of the asteroid, man? It's a base of more Nausicans. It's a base of <laughs> Nausicans. <laughs> they effectively have found the killer hornet's nest. Exactly. And they go in with a stick and hit it as hard as they can and are shooting their little plasma cannon, which has been described as basically being a pop gun and are surprisingly overwhelmed uh, by the Nausicans. And it's a race now to see if they can outlast the Nausicaan attack before the Enterprise arrives. When the Enterprise does arrive, it becomes the Enterprise now having to negotiate a peace. Archer has to negotiate a peace between humans who would rather be left alone and Nausicans who have the right to say they're holding somebody hostage. They've got one of our people and we're just trying to get that person back. It's at this point that Mayweather steps in and Mayweather is a recurring presence in this episode. I think it's a nice episode for Mayweather's character to really, Mm -hmm. uh, they've, they've referred to his experience of having grown up in space in previous episodes. It's always been nice coloring to the character, like not really shaping it in any definite way, but just kind of giving him a little bit of like, Oh, how is he different from everybody else? Oh, he grew up in space. But now is when it really is a defining trait of who he is and, and is really indicative of how he views space and spacefaring and what Starfleet represents. And you really see the kind of pragmatic optimism that took him into Starfleet because his argument is what you are doing here, Ryan, is not about you and it is not about this current crew and it's not about these specific Nausicans. But it's going to have an impact on the next time that Nausicans cross paths with Earth Raiders because they won't leave anybody behind next time. They will make sure to kill the crew instead of just stealing their goods. And it's that kind of foresight that Mayweather demonstrates that I think is a big moment for his character to show why he's on that ship. And the discussion between him and Archer, what did you think of his talk with Archer when he goes to Archer's cabin and says, may I speak freely? What did you think of that, that scene? I thought it was really good. It was, it was, I like the way they challenged each other in that scene where the captain is kind of has a point of view and doesn't quite see it completely from Mayweather's point of view. But when Mayweather asks to speak freely and just like throws down the gauntlet of like what, what's wrong the captain does a really nice nuanced job of basically stepping around it to show Mayweather, well, that's not the clear line you think it is. And it's the reason I make these calls isn't necessarily what you think. And I thought it was nice to have Mayweather get that insight into it's not like boomer versus non-boomer. It's there's nuance to all these arguments. Yeah. And I thought that played out well when Mayweather is making that case to Ryan over the communications to say, this is revenge, like what you just pointed out. I thought he made a very compelling, very interesting argument. And I think you're 100% right. It, it's 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 kind of like to Paul in that hallway with the kids. That scene with Mayweather gives him some depth and shows why he's on the bridge of the Enterprise on the flagship. And yeah. it shows that he actually has, there's, there's more to that character, which is a shame because they, <laughs> spoiler, 
the show never does anything with Mayweather. Yeah. <laughs> it's like he's he's a he's a leftover character for the most part. And it's a shame because they're showing that he has good analytical skills. He thinks about things in a good way. And it's 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 just a shame this did no, nothing with this character. Yeah. I also one of the things I thought was uh very effective about those two scenes, the ending scene where Archer is trying to negotiate the peace and Mayweather has to step in. And also the scene with Archer and Mayweather having the discussion in the captain's cabin, they're working to the same goal and they have two very different mindsets about Mm -hmm. why that's the best goal. And when Mayweather goes in initially to talk to the captain and it's a little bit of a back and forth of, of like not, an argument, but really looking at things from different sides and having a little bit of a conflict between their perspectives. By the end, they're both looking for peace. Archer has revealed in that earlier talk that his goal for peace is because humans should carry themselves by a certain code. Mm -hmm. Humans should carry themselves as having the ability to judge when violence is necessary, but not turning to violence as a first choice. And his argument for that is you're human regardless of where you're born. Mayweather's perspective on the piece is from a pragmatic, it makes sense to practice this because the next time somebody will do something even worse. Mm -hmm. If you make bad acts now, it doesn't benefit anybody in the future. And Mm -hmm. I thought that that was a very, really terrific to show different perspectives on how to get and why to get to the goal within one episode. It doesn't typically Mm -hmm. happen. Very often you have, if there's earlier discussions around, I disagree with what we're doing, usually a show will resolve that by having one character fully convince the other of their ideology. And now you have two people stepping in lockstep with ideology. And in this case, that doesn't happen. I think it's a nice bit of nuance to the writing. Mm-hmm. So Mayweather's arguments hit and Ryan does relent and gives up his prisoner. And when the Nausikans get him back, the promise of the Enterprise standing by to make sure the Nausikans don't exact revenge allows the freighter to leave safely. And the yeah. episode ends can, with, yes. Can I just interject right there? There was one thing I wanted to bring up about that, about how Captain Archer basically his confrontation with the Noskins saying, let me try to get them to release your, your man. And if I can do that, let's just go our separate ways. And the Noskin, of course, is being like, dude, you know, this is what it is. We were attacked. We're going to defend ourselves. I loved Archer's. We could kick your butt right now. Scan our ship and you see what we are. We are the flagship of the human fleet. And he says, get used to seeing more of this type of ship. Yeah. And it's this wonderful, <laughs> subtle threat of yeah. you don't want to poke the bear because this bear can really kick back. Right. And if you do something good now, we're going to be on good relations. But if right. you don't give me this chance, you're going to put us in a bad place and there's going to be more and more of us. And yeah. We're going to be a big problem for you. I just love that very subtle threat that he did, which is what opened the door for all of that to happen. He also turns the same threat into then a leverage moment for Ryan because Ryan says, in Mm -hmm. what world, what makes you think that the Nausicans will ever let us go? And Archer's response being, I've got an armory full of torpedoes that tells me that they are going to let you go. This Mm -hmm. it's he is making the same claim of I'm now the big kid on the block. 
He's making yep. it to the enemy, which is arguably the Nausicans. He's also making it to the people he wants to be friends with, which is Ryan and the other humans on the freighter. Same argument to both of them. I'm yep. the tough guy in the block now. If you're going to have a fight, it's going to be with me, and you don't want to have that fight. So once everybody has gone their separate ways, of course, this doesn't solve anything for piracy with the Nausicans. That is just <laughs> left to like... Oh, we, we've, it's a little bit like a previous episode where they had the confrontation with the vampire bat ship and it was like, once the battle was over and they flew away, no problems anymore. It's Nothing's been about, resolved. It's like piracy <laughs> is happening in yeah. that episode. It was the space vampires that we never see, but it's the, the argument that like this kind of piracy and attack is happening. And the Enterprise is not actually solving any of that. They're just going in and saying, like, today we're fight, fighting it, uh, but it's not solving it for the long term. And again, that could have been a recurring theme in a continuity of a show saying, oh, humans are coming into space in greater numbers and with more power and more strength. And how do we demonstrate that? Maybe by making more people safe from things like piracy. Like that could have been an ongoing thing, but no, they just solved this day's problems. And then Archer and Keen have what I thought was a very nice discussion about what the future looks like. And it again underscores the fact that Archer has no claim to actual power in mm -hmm. the relationships with the freighter. He's not able to arrest Ryan. He doesn't even talk about trying to arrest Ryan. It's a little bit like the traveling Texas Ranger who's come into town. The town has said, we don't want you here. The Ranger solves the problem regardless of the fact that the town didn't want it. Once the problem is solved, the town's like, okay, we thank you. But we're still going to solve these issues on our own. So Ryan yep. is not arrested. He is demoted. And yep. he is described by the captain as being demoted down from second in command to just able crewman. So Ryan is now effectively just at the low lowest rank available on a freighter. And he's described as it's going to take him a long time to get the trust that I used to have in him back. So yep. the punishment is he's still going to be on the freighter, but he's going to be working the, the drudge duty that nobody really wants to do. And the captain is revealing like, I'm like, I'm aware of the changes that are coming. I don't want to see them. And Archer is arguing back. You should embrace some of those. They are going to make your lives better. But at the same time, I think it's very telling the captain's invitation multiple times to, why don't you have a drink with me? And yeah. Archer's response is, I'm on duty. That's yes. two very different mindsets. That's two very different worlds that Old they live school, in. Old school, new school. Yep. Yeah. So yeah, I thought that I like that it. was a very nicely done, uh, a lot of showing as opposed to telling in that final scene of worldviews really colliding. And even people who can be super friendly. The two captains at that point have a perspective on all of this that nobody else in the experience will have. They are both the captains of their ships. They understand the responsibilities for the crew and the dedication to their purpose. And they respect each other in those moments. But yep. the demonstration of the worldviews of, come on, have a drink. Yeah. What's the worst that can happen? We're puttering along at warp 1.3. And meanwhile, the flagship 
of the Starfleet, which is trying to flex more muscle and grow, is saying, no, 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 I've got a job to do. I'm out here to do that job. Yep. So in the end, I think it overall is an interesting episode from a couple of different perspectives. One of the things I really liked is it being about human society's evolution. Uh, I thought the Wild West motif worked really well. And I, like I mentioned before, I think that it's demonstration of the era that it was being written in that kind of questioning of the shrinking of the world that we live in. I think that's a really big ideological question. I think it's the first time that enterprise has really wrestled with an era question in that way. And I thought it did a good job with discussing both sides and really taking a look at, you know, the people who say, but we have a way of life. In response mm-hmm. to improvements, those are two different sides to the same coin. Sometimes yeah. defending a way of life is better than simply making something faster, bigger, stronger. Yeah, some of the storytelling was clunky, but I agree with you. It's yeah. the general theme of the episode I thought was really well done. Yeah. I also did like the performance from Lawrence Monison, who played Ryan. I thought mm-hmm. he was really, really strong. I, I, just for being a character actor to be able to come in and very quickly be able to bring a character to life in this way. I thought he did a really good job. I agree. Yep. Was there anything in the show that stuck out for you as as being particularly problematic? Um, it's kind of mixed into the deeper dive I'm about to do. So if we want to get to that. Um, okay. I could kind of walk through that. Let's do that. All right. So for the deeper dive in the episode, I wanted to kind of focus on the space boomers, uh, mm. which obviously was set up from episode one when they introduced Mayweather and explained that he was this boomer, space boomer, boomer for short. And uh, it's slang for post-warp generation of humans who live primarily in space. Some of their offspring are even born there, like Travis. And that's been shortened to boomer, which is basically it's a play on baby boomer. So it's like the big space boom. It's like the people and the children that are part of that are referred to as boomers. And the reason I wanted to deep dive on this, because I've, what didn't work, boomers has been a, is a squandered potential of storytelling in what they tried to establish from the first episode. And the fact that this is the only time the only time they do anything with the boomers is this episode. The only time they really do any kind of deep dive into Travis is this episode. And I think there's one other one where they may do one more thing with him, but it's just squandered potential. And it kind of goes into what I was found, which was Rick Berman recalled the concept of boomers coming from Brandon Braga. And it was, that came out of a, um, if you have the Blu-ray set, there's a, there are special interviews behind the scenes with the two of those guys. And this came up. Braga characterized the concept of boomers as an interesting idea, but was badly executed. And Mm. I agree with him completely. Uh, Braga continued, there are some things that you think are cool when you first create a show, like the space boomer idea. It didn't really go anywhere. I think we did one space boomer episode, but what sounded good on paper, born and raised in space, never been to earth. What's their perspective? When everyone gets on a ship week to week, it's kind of like, who cares what the boomer has to say? <laughs> that was really funny. Yeah. And then Berman agreed and recalled, I thought this was a great idea. And in the writer's second draft of the script of Breaking Ice, which was a previous episode we've already talked about, Archer asked the Vulcan captain Vanek if he had actually ever previously encountered a boomer ship, to which Vanek implied, 
uh, uh, implied that was correct. He had never seen one. In the final version of the Breaking the Ice uh, episode, the possibility of a boomer vehicle having been encountered by Vanek was ruled out by T'Pol by simply commenting that, I believe this is Captain Vanek's first visit aboard an Earth vessel. Uh, and in, in an unused dialogue section of this episode, uh, Trip uh, responded to Travis Mayweather, who had explained that boomer culture allowed for lots of time for procreation between ports by remarking, Sounds like there's some definite advantages to being a space boomer. <laughs> of course, Trip would say that. Uh, Ten years later, this is kind of where I'm coming from, is there's this book series called The Expanse, which has been turned into a really phenomenal TV show. If you haven't watched it, I highly recommend watching it. But in the books, humans are basically at war with humans because we're very provincial and we're very where you are and what where you've grown up is your thing uh we kind of get into a tribe mentality so humans who grew up and were born on mars are martians now they're not earthlings and people who were born in space and live in space are known as belters because they live around the asteroid belt so they're belters which is basically the boomers that they were trying to establish and in that show they do a phenomenal job showing how your perspective shifts and changes when your relation is you're no longer an earthling. So earth is no longer home. You don't have that emotional tie to it that somebody who was born and raised there does. It does change your perspective. And in the, in those books, there's basically wars between all these different factions. And it's, it's, there was so much squandered potential with what the boomers could have represented and the conflict, making that conflict even stronger but that kind of goes against what Star Trek tries to stand for, which is uh, humanity has gone, has risen above conflict right. amongst themselves and all this kind of stuff. But this is a prequel. This is in the part where there's going to be growing pains and they could yeah. have played with that growing pain a little bit more for the people that are, have been born, raised and only have known living in space. So it's like squander potential. So where yeah. Brandon Braga and Rick Berman both had said, you know, eh, it was who cares what the boomer has to say. It's like, well, that to me shows actually a lack of imagination because 10 years later, here's an entire book series and now a very popular TV series that actually shows you why it does matter. And right. they, the fact that they didn't recognize that is kind of disappointing to me. Yeah. And I think that it's uh, perhaps they got locked into what is a Star Trek show and yeah. how do you make it Star Trek? And one of the things that we've seen evolve more recently is what I tend to think of as the Star Warsification of Star Trek, where at mm-hmm. a certain point, the technology that is being forecast in these programs is so advanced that it all starts to disappear. And when technology disappears far enough, you end up with, well, where is the the heart of the show, the heart of the show then has to be in the interaction of the characters and how the characters interact with the world around them. Mm -hmm. And everything you described about the expanse is a demonstration of that. These are humans in a different place who no longer think of themselves as related to earth. And that is driving the action, not the fact they're on a spaceship. And -hmm. it seems very much like what was happening here is, the creators of this show here were thinking in terms of, well, you're getting on board a spaceship every week. They Mm -hmm. were doubling down on the fact that the crew of the enterprise is on the enterprise. They were not doubling down on 
the enterprise crew is going to be interacting with people with a very different spacefaring experience. And it could have had some interesting elements that would have been a little bit more like Firefly, mm-hmm. which was very much a space Western and was doing a much better job with saying, how do you deal with lawlessness in an advanced society? And the enterprise could have been, like I mentioned, the idea of it being almost a space Western where they're the ranger coming into various town, human town after human town and being told like, what do you mean you're now in charge? That could have been a very interesting story to tell. I also, for me, one of the things that stood out in this episode that just has been a recurring theme in multiple episodes that we've talked about of Enterprise, where are the women? We are told that one of the things that happens with the boomers is they're in space for so long that they have entire families in space. (laughs) It's true. There's no There is not a woman shown on the freighter. There are children shown, but there are no women shown. And Enterprise seems to have a gender issue problem where they just don't show women as capable. They don't show them as being able to take action in moments of danger. In this episode, again, the crew is attacked in the cargo container and no woman raises a gun to defend themselves. It is Mm -hmm. Reed as the security officer and Archer has a gun, but T'Pol is unarmed for what reason? Whatever reason. Yeah. There is no reason given as to why she wouldn't have shown up also with the sidearm. So it, that's an ongoing thing. And I think, it's, I think it's a real problem. When you say like, oh, this is an entire group of people whose worldview is shaped by the fact that they live entirely aboard these crafts and raise themselves almost like a town in space. And not only is it without women, it was also no people of color. So their vision of the future is not very realistic to even how the world is now. The other thing that stood out for me as a problem, and this was a much more minor issue. I didn't like how the Nausicans were depicted. I know they are shown in arguably one of the best episodes of star Trek. That's ever played Dom jock human in (laughs) tapestry. When you get the flashback to how did captain Picard basically get killed by a Nausicaan in a bar fight. Yes. And the Nausicaans are depicted as an extremely, like you, you get a brutish uh, depiction, but more than that, you get a depiction of them that is specific to Nausicaans. And in this case, this seemed very much like nobody took the time to tell the actors who were playing the Nausicaans how to talk or what mm-hmm. kind of acting to do within the confines of the makeup. So they just seem very much like a stand-in for better Any bad race. guys. Yes. Like somebody said, well, we just did a thing with the Klingons. We can't do another thing with the Klingons. How about we do somebody else, the Nausicans? And then nobody bothered to ever watch that episode to see <laughs> how do they talk? <laughs> and yeah. how would they be? how would they best be demonstrated as being tough? Um, the thing that stands out the most is they look like a made for TV version of the predator. And that's just not enough. <laughs> the little so tooth was, coming. Come yeah. <laughs> the little teeth coming out of the sides. It's just, it's just not enough. Um, 
even something as simple as them talking in a different way and using terminology that didn't translate would have provided a little bit more than what happened, Flavor. which is they're calling over to the Nausicans. Humans and Nausicans have not had a lot of interaction. And the Nausicaan captain is like, hey, fella, they better give us back our crewmen. Like, yeah. like no, no. So I ask now to the listeners, what do you think of how the Nausicans were depicted? Do you agree that there was something weak there? Or if you had an idea of what could have been added to at least make them seem a little bit stronger as an alien race that could be expanded upon, what would you have added? Please let us know. You can do that in the comments directly below this on YouTube, or you can find the contact information in the podcast description. Please remember, you can visit http podfan trek in time with dashes to directly support the podcast. And of course, you can also support us simply by doing what you're doing right now. Keep listening, like, and subscribe, and then you can share us with your friends. All of those things really do help. Before we sign off, Matt, is there anything you'd like to remind our listeners about that you have going on or how to find you online? Um, I recommend people check out my other show, Vice Versa, that I do with Ricky from 2-Bit Da Vinci. We do live broadcasts every Thursday afternoon. It's a really fun show where we talk about the latest news from the past week in sustainable energy and EVs. As for me, you can check out my website. That's seanfarrell.com. You can also search for me on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or your local bookstores. You'll find my books there. And as always, if you have any comments or corrections, please do reach out. We love to be reminded when we've mistaken a Klingon for a Nausicaan or a Nausicaan for a Klingon. <laughs> you can do that through the contact information in the podcast notes or in the YouTube comments. And please do remember to subscribe, to like the video, and to share it widely with friends and strangers. And come back next time. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. Bye-bye.